Blog Talk Radio. Choices, decisions, frustrations, and pain. Knowing I'm going to forget her someday. While I still can, I'll challenge all my loved ones, every friend, to look inside their hearts and understand that I. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. It's October 1st already. I can't believe it, but fall is definitely in the air. It's been absolutely gorgeous here in Minnesota. We've been hanging out in the 70s, and um, it's just been uh, nice, clear skies, and we were able to take advantage of seeing that full moon, that full harvest moon. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, the founder of Alzheimer's Speaks which is an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to help shift our dementia care culture. Here on the radio show, we believe in giving voice to those afflicted with memory loss and their care partners, empowering everyone to live and have purpose-filled lives. Our goal is to raise awareness, give hope, and share, again, the real everyday life stories of living with dementia. Our hope is to teach people how to live with the disease and not as it. Our channel expert is Rick Phelps, who has early onset um, Alzheimer's disease, known as EOAD. And Rick pops into our show from time to time. I'm not sure if he'll be able to join us today or not, but if he uh, is able to, I will definitely let you know he is here. Rick was diagnosed in June of 2010, and he is the founder of Memory People on Facebook, which is a wonderful social support group. For those with early memory loss, their care partners, both family and professional, as well as advocates, or those just interested in learning more. If you're not familiar with um, Memory People on Facebook, just go ahead and put it into your search bar and ask to join and check it out. It's a, it's a great place to make new friends and find comfort and get advice. Here on the show, we are basically a little grassroots effort. And so if you enjoy our show today, I do ask for your help in terms of um, being part of our collaborative spirit. So if you can like us, share the episode with your friends, tweet about us if you have a Twitter account, that would be wonderful because the information that we bring here is based for everyone uh, dealing with dementia. And if you're listening, we would love to have you join the conversation. And you can do that in a couple of fashions. You can use the chat box if you signed in through Facebook, and I'll be fielding those questions or comments. Or you can call in live, and that number is 714-364-4757. Again, that's 714-364-4757. And then you just have to push one to get into my waiting room, and I will pull you right into the show as soon as there's a break in the conversation. Now, today we're going to have a really, I think, great conversation about hospice and palliative care. And on the second um, portion of the show, 
we're going to talk about funeral planning. These are all realistic things that we need to be able to discuss and not be afraid of in order to truly have good quality of life and be able to embrace and celebrate life as a whole. So our first guest today is Chris Morissette of St. Uh, Croix Hospice. And Chris has been, um, began his healthcare career as a PCA, which is a personal care assistant or home health aide uh, that people refer to. Um, and he worked with adults who had disabilities while he was in college. He has since worked in management and marketing for assisted living, home care, and now hospice. Uh, Chris is the Director of Business Development for St. Croix Hospice, which is a Minnesota-based hospice provider operating five offices, and that might be six. I think they just opened another one in the state of Minnesota in western Wisconsin. So welcome, Chris. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Lori. Thanks for having us here today. That's good. And how many offices do you have? Is it five or is it six? We just opened our fifth office, which is in Minnetonka. And so we have an office in Minnetonka now, uh, Oakdale, Minnesota, uh, Cambridge, Minnesota, St. Cloud, Minnesota, and Rochester, Minnesota. Okay, wonderful. I I knew that you had opened one, and I wasn't sure if I had the right stats or not on that, so I wanted to make sure. Well, hospice and palliative care is a a critical um, a critical phase in terms of life and understanding, you know, what each is and why they're important. So I'm so glad that you're with us today. I, I think we should start out by defining what is hospice and what is palliative care. Palliative care, I think, is something that people are just now starting to hear a little bit more about, um, and I don't think people understand the difference between the two. So can you define each for us? Absolutely. Well, again, it's a privilege to be here. Um, you know, we're very passionate about uh, serving folks at this critical uh, time in their journey, and uh, some something that we take the opportunity whenever possible to really have the dialogue. Um, palliative care and hospice are often thought of to be one and the same. Um, however, there are distinct differences between uh, what we would call a palliative uh, care approach and hospice. Uh, And the best way to describe it is palliative care is really a methodology or an approach to care at a certain time in someone's life. And that uh, methodology or approach to care may start before someone is actually even eligible for hospice. A good example is, uh, let's say someone has, uh, you know, maybe dementia with uh, some diabetes and uh, for most of their life managing their diabetes meant some dietary restriction. And uh, as they, you know, get into the later stages of their uh, dementia, of the disease, one may find that, um, you know, sugar intake, having ice cream, something that they've had to uh, not do for a number of years because of a restrictive diet, might be something they might approach uh, a little more often uh, in more of a palliative care or comfort care mode. Um, You'll also find that um, assisted livings, long-term care, skilled nursing facilities, and even home cares may have a palliative care program, as well as uh, various uh, healthcare institutions throughout our area here. Um, and again, it's really aimed at more comfort measures. Um, when someone goes into a palliative care or, or, or looks at more of a palliative care approach, uh, they're going to most likely uh, steer away from some more curative measures. Um, another good example might be, let's say, uh, someone has um, uh, chronic heart failure, and uh, an alternative to, you know, seeking um, 
surgical uh, treatment would be to maybe approach more of a palliative care uh, uh, model of uh, of healthcare and uh, and and go that route. We really look at hospice then is uh, a season and time in someone's journey. Uh, I like to look at it almost even as a box. Um, there are certain eligibility and requirements um, for admitting onto hospice, and uh, palliative care may start long before someone's even eligible for that for that hospice service. Uh, the palliative care uh, methodology or approach also then carries into hospice, uh, and really it's aimed at comfort, not curative. Hospice itself is a benefit, um, most often covered by Medicare. Uh, it's also covered by most primary insurances, Medicaid, some of the Minnesota health care programs, and uh, many hospice agencies will do what's called charity or free care in the event that someone does not have a payer source uh, or the ability to pay for these services. Okay, wonderful. Well, that's um, it's great to know. Can you tell us, um, can you maybe give us a couple of examples of, of um, when people choose hospice um, or when maybe they wait too late? I would imagine, I mean, I know I've seen that with people, that they don't really know that you exist or, or what the process is, but um, have you seen that where you you felt, man, we could have we could have done more earlier in situations? Or yeah, I think if you were to talk to anyone who works in the field of hospice, um, they would all agree that uh, folks tend to wait a little bit too late. I have never met someone who said, "I wish I would have just waited." Uh, most people at the end of uh, of their journey, uh, family members would attest they wish they would have started the benefit sooner. Um, and so really the benefit was designed for uh, six months. And now with dementia and other uh, you know, disease uh, progression, it's hard to know. And so we use indicators to kind of, you know, such as weight loss, um, you know, frequent hospitalizations and things like that to help guide the process to identify if someone's eligible. But I would agree. Um, the benefit itself is uh, designed to support people at this most critical time in their journey. And uh, the more time we have to do that, the more successful we're going to be uh, in serving not only just the patient, but their family as well as their caregiver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The benefit it, also extends. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh no, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You're fine. The benefit then extend. It does. I mean, we'll see a number of folks who will uh, be referred and start services uh, in what we call that 11th hour, those you know kind of final days uh, near the end of their journey. Uh, the hospice benefit does extend to the family, and uh, we actually have a 13-month bereavement and support program for uh, family members and caregivers following the loss of a loved one. Uh, mm-hmm. And so there's still value uh, for the patient as well as their uh, care team uh, in you know, using the hospice benefit, even if, if they may be in their last uh, hours, days, or moments of life. But uh, we'd love to start to see folks um, really use the benefit uh, when they become eligible for it. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that is just so it, it can make such an important difference in those in those final hours um with somebody. And again, sometimes it's it's literally final hours and sometimes it's months. I know with my dad, you know, he didn't last long, but they were the hospice um staff was so phenomenal with us because as a family we really struggled in terms of what to do, and I was I was very adamant, for example, that they not give my dad a shot for pneumonia because they knew it wasn't going to do any good, and I just figured this is his time. 
and the rest of the family is like, give him the shot, give him the shot, you know, um, thinking he's going to come back. And, you know, they were all shocked at me when I said that. And I said, this isn't going to fix the problem. This isn't going to make Dad better. It's going to get rid of the pneumonia, and that's it. And it's going to extend his life in this state. And I don't think that that's what he would want. You know, we had conversations. And so they all kind of looked at me, and then they looked at the hospice nurse, and she just said, she's right. This is not going to make him better. This is not going to fix, you know, what's going on. And so everybody kind of came to grips with that. And, and as a family, I don't think we could have come together as quickly because, you know, it would be my opinion against theirs and you get the whole family dynamics going and the second guessing. But to have a professional who, you know, lives and breathes this all the time just made such a difference. And they were so wonderful. I mean, just so calm and non-judgmental, and just let the process take place that needed to take place within the family, um, but extremely supportive. And I don't, I don't think people. I mean, I didn't know before I experienced it what you guys bring to the table, and it's massive. It's it's just massive. It's you guys are like comfort food to a family. Um, in so many fashions, you're just like a bunch of little angels that have landed and and just make the process so much easier and get people to understand, you know, this is a natural state. Pretty soon it's going to happen to all of us. So how are we going to deal with this? How are we going to be the most respectful and the most caring and person-centered and really get ourselves out of the way and do what's right for the person before us? And And that's not easy to do. You know when you're when you're grieving and going through that process, um, I have seen many people wait too long, you know, for it and, and not be able to get the full benefits of it. My my mom, for example, um, she was on a couple years ago, and I mean we thought it was the beginning of the end for her, and then she improved so much with hospice because of the one-on-one that she was getting and the music therapy and. Um, maybe you can talk about some of those things that happen in terms of, you know, how do you how do you work a care plan and what are some of the specific types of services um, that can come into play. And you know, my mom's lived another two years now, and um, maintaining well at this point. And again, um, we just never really know when that when that time is going to come into play. But she benefited so much. Um, from that extra care. And it's not that she wasn't, you know, getting good care in the nursing home. It was just adding more services to what she had. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you bring up some great points. And, you know, you mentioned one thing, you know, family kind of hanging on to that pneumonia shot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, at, at this time in, in the journey, as we're journeying as caregivers with uh, those whom we love dearly, uh, we're looking for hope. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's that pneumonia shot or, you know, maybe that uh, curative treatment or something that uh, we feel is going to give hope to this, you know, seemingly hopeless time. And I think at the end of the day, that's what hospice really wants to bring, is uh, helping redefine hope. A good example of that is um, we admitted uh, a gentleman recently who, uh, when talking about what, what he hoped for this season of his journey, it was to get to the cabin one last time. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, he had the opportunity to go and do that and spent a week up at uh, at the family cabin. And uh, the hospice was there in support, you know, and providing anything that was needed uh, in terms of medications and things so that he could do that journey. And they were just a phone call away. Uh, it was, you know, in the event that he needed something. But he was able to go and, and live out uh, this you know, last season of his journey doing something he wanted to do. Um, and so I think that's that's one of the most important things that we can bring is helping to find that hope. You know, maybe it's the next holiday. Uh, maybe it's a, you know, a family member's wedding, a grandchild's wedding that's coming up. Uh, and again, we don't have we we can't always control uh, the time that someone has left, but we can make the most of it. Uh, mm-hmm. Finding those moments of joy in the season of the journey. I'll discuss just a little bit of what that process looks like. Um, and maybe the transition from more of a palliative care uh, into hospice and the, some of the services that are available under the hospice benefit. Okay. Um, you know, again, hospice is defined by um, what we would call a prognosis of six months or less. Uh, mm-hmm. Certain diseases, as I had mentioned, don't always you don't always know. And you know, talking dementia um, is one of those dementia is one of those diseases where often we call it the stairway decline. And I'm sure you've seen this, Lori, as well as the other listeners, where maybe you're journeying with someone who has dementia, and there's those times where it's seemingly they take a very drastic decline. And then there's maybe a a season where they're doing a little bit better. Um, Maybe it's more of a plateau. Hospice can be very critical in supporting those during those stairway declines of dementia. Uh, And often we'll find with dementia itself that there's eligibility during those seasons of decline. And then mm-hmm. maybe that season of plateau where we kind of just, we're doing well. We're kind of having a status quo. That could be a year in some cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, we may find then that that individual is no longer eligible for the benefit as their condition somewhat improves or they stabilize. Um, I had a gentleman uh, who I recall uh, when I was uh, working in housing and uh, in, in serving in an assisted living capacity that graduated five or six times from hospice. Uh, so much to the point we threw a party every time that, that it happened. But, you know, hospice was always there for those those seasons of decline uh, where he needed a little extra support. If someone were to call uh, into hospice today, whether it be St. Croix or another agency, um, we would first look to get an order from the primary care physician or start that dialogue in order to enroll in the hospice benefit. Um, an order uh, for hospice treatment is required. Uh, mm-hmm. It requires then that that physician certify a disease or a disease pr- uh, pro- you know, prognosis that may in turn be eligible for hospice. Uh, we would then do a full nursing assessment and uh, you know, determine if there is eligibility based on those indicators, you know, such as hospitalizations, you know, weight loss. Uh, each disease has its own set of indicators that we really rely on. And then uh, our medical director would sign uh, sign off in order that the, the patient is eligible. Um, and then we put together that plan of care that you talked about. Uh, and that's really done through what's called a comprehensive assessment. And so all different disciplines. Um, hospice not only has skilled nursing through a, a, a nurse, registered nurse case manager who really is walking with and journeying with that patient uh, through mm-hmm. Uh, their disease in this season of their journey. Um, it includes LPNs, home health aides, hospice aides, as well as social work, um, spiritual care, so bereavement support, chaplaincy, um, complementary therapies, so the music therapy that you mentioned, uh, massage therapy, are all done based on medical necessity to help 
give someone more comfort uh, during this season. And so a full assessment is done by all the different uh, disciplines, social work, spiritual care, therapies, to really put that plan of care together that says this is exactly what that person needs. And it's individualized. And so each patient uh, of ours has a different plan of care than another. Uh, and so it's all based on what that person needs. And then if something changes in their condition, that plan of care then can be updated. We can look at, you know, are we needing some more support from uh, a hospice aide to come out uh, and do some, you know, uh, assistance with some other adult cares of daily living, such as bathing, dressing, grooming, um, or more support from a nurse. And so uh, everyone's care is going to look slightly different because hospice, the hospice benefit is designed to be for that individual. You know, one of the things that um, I, I would like to just add in on that process, because you know I've gone through it twice now with my folks, is I was amazed at um, at those sessions when you're sitting down and they're introducing themselves and the services, but how they listen and the questions that they ask and um, just the 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 calmness again that they bring to the situation and the sincerity and the authenticity. Um, I, I think is just incredible within your industry because, you know, the people in your industry, I mean, they have to get it. And I think most of them have been through through it, so they really get it. But um, I have to say that I love your term, the season of the journey, because it is. It's just another stage in life, and I just think that's a beautiful way to phrase it. Um, but the customization, I think, is so critical, and the questions that they pose in terms of who is this person we're caring for, what are their likes, what are their dislikes, you know, what relationships um, were important to them, you know, what what is something that would bring them joy. I mean, there's just so much focus on that um, and making sure that they're comfortable and as, as happy as possible. And as a family member, that's just such a relief that they're going to get good medical care and that, some, you know, someone's goal is really for them to have the the best, um, I guess, exit possible, you know, of this life. And while they're still here, to have, you know, the most quality and um, comfort and abundance, you know, in the situation that they're in. And um, that they're just so they're just magnificent. I can't, I can't say enough about the staff, um, and I've, I've experienced it with other um, friends and, and relatives, and it, it's always pretty much been the same, the same thing. I've been really astonished. Um, so many industries, there can be so many variables with with staff, and you know why they why they have a job. Is it a paycheck and all of those things, but with hospice, I, I have never, ever um, in my whole entire life run into a situation that I thought, boy, that person, this isn't a good match <laughs> you know, for them. And I'm sure probably that it does happen, but I, it just seems to me and others that I've talked to that it really is more of a rarity and that these people are just so sincere um, in terms of their service delivery and understand the importance. And the other thing, when I have spoken to the groups, what comes out loud and clear and I think is one of the things that makes um, the staff such a good match in terms of authenticity is they view their job as a gift. 
Yeah. You know, they're not just giving. They always learn, and they just say it's such a blessing to be able to do what they do. And, you know, I don't think most people feel that way about their job. And so to me that that makes a a huge shift in terms of the the service delivery. You know, when someone feels that to the core, um, you just step up and deliver on a whole different level. And I think that that has to really be appreciated and looked at and and valued. Um, And then last, I think it really has to be utilized. Um, You know, we have to remove our fear and realize um, this is a gift, you know, not only to the person in need, but the whole family and, and the friends. Um, you know, in cahoots with with the whole journey, because we're all in in it together, and um, that's to me uh, an amazing thing when I sit back and kind of assess that from an employment standpoint and from a service delivery. Um, it's one of the few industries that I think the employees really get the mission. You know, a lot of times staff can can memorize the mission statements, you know, just to say that they got it, but they don't feel it. And I think with hospice staff, they feel it, and so they deliver the service on a whole different level. Well, I would certainly agree. I actually this morning had the privilege of talking to one of our our weekend uh, staff who call her one of the weekend warriors. And uh, it was a long weekend, uh, and I could see it in her face. But she looked at me and said, Chris, this is my mission. This isn't a job. And uh, we had a couple of folks that we had the privilege of journeying through their last moments this weekend. And uh, I know from our staff, as well as uh, anyone in hospice and serving folks at this critical time in their journey, would attest that uh, we feel every single person that we uh, that we serve, uh, and uh, it, it can be difficult. Uh, it can be difficult on our staff, and so uh, you know the uh, the service of hospice isn't one that everyone could do. Uh, that's where we have some very uniquely called uh, staff who are a part of this and uh, a part of the, uh, the mission of, of serving people at this time in their life. Uh, and it takes a special person, and I would agree. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, we live uh, and breathe with the knowledge that we have one chance to get it right, and if we don't bring 110 percent. Um, we're doing a disservice to that patient, their family, their caregiver, uh, and everyone else who's involved in their life. Everyone deserves the absolute best uh, that we can bring. And uh, that's anything short of that is unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty. It, it's pretty amazing stuff. And, you know, I think, too, they do such a nice job helping us remove the fear of those last moments. Anyways, they they did for me with my dad, and you know, I've been with several people who have passed, and it is it's such, you know, if you let yourself go there, it is such a beautiful privilege to be able to know that that you were the the last person that they were with in this world, um, and the importance of your connection and. Um, the beauty of that, I actually, with my dad, I had my hand on his chest and was telling him it was time to go. You know, he was down to all the last steps and things. And I literally felt his energy go right through me as he left his body. I mean, my whole arm just just tingled, you know, and I was telling my brother, touch his chest, touch his chest, and he couldn't feel anything. But it was like, I know 
um, he, my dad just left, and he went he went right through me on his way out. It was just, and I'll never forget that moment, never, ever, ever, and um, how special that was, you know, to to just be able to be there and care for him in those those last moments. And I, I think it's it's hard though because you know we have to push our emotions to the side sometimes um, in those final stages. And not that you can't cry and you can't do all those things, but when we get so swallowed up in our pain, we can't see the beauty in the relationship that we had in that in those years or moments, you know, whatever it is um, that our relationship was. And and I think we have to learn to not not give up those moments. And it, granted, you have to grieve. Um, but when you when you're doing it when it's in those final stages you know at, at a I don't know and I hate to say when you're focusing on on your loss so much you're losing even more of your relationship I guess is the point I'm trying to make and it's not it's not an easy balance but if you continue to be able to look for the joy and focus on what you do have knowing that it is going um, but just holding on to what what it is you have, you're going to have even more when the time you know does come when the person passes. Where I think sometimes so many lose out on those last moments because they're just so overcome with their own emotion. And I, I don't know. Is there any advice to family, or maybe I'm just being goofy on that whole piece? I don't know. What do you think, Chris? No, I think most are in a very similar place, Lori. And uh, mm-hmm. from you know, having been uh, in healthcare and seeing folks journey through this, um, some of whom have used hospice and uh, relied on that support, and others who hadn't, uh, you know, hospice is there to support the family. Most individuals, the patients themselves, when asked, would say uh, the greatest gift that hospice can give them is the peace of knowing that they're going to have a pain-free death. And that's support mm-hmm. at the end. And then there's the obvious things that are covered, the hospital bed and the equipment and the medications and things like that. But the other piece, and the, the piece that's most critical for families, is helping really grieve through and prepare for that those last moments and uh, being able to rely on the hospice team to maybe take some of that burden. Um, you know, Even the primary caregiver, if they're in an assisted living or a long-term care facility, and even helping that team to uh, have some of that burden and relying on hospice and the hospice team to be the expert um, this is all we do, and uh, we're, you know, our, our uh, responsibility is to help, and, and we're here, our heart is to help families prepare so that they can have those moments. I'll give you a good example. One of the, one of the greatest success stories I recall was a, a family that I knew well, um, and when the decline happened and it was, uh, you know, a dementia diagnosis and, you know, a very difficult journey through dementia, and we were approaching the end of life, and there was one hope that uh, that this individual wanted, uh, and that was to be reconnected with a, uh, a child who had moved across the country, and there had been some uh, rift in the relationship, and their one hope was to reconnect with this, this, this uh, child uh, before they took their last breaths. And um, we had the privilege uh, of of helping make that happen as a hospice agency and uh, helping connect and make, allow that, that uh, conversation that happened to be over the phone. But it was shortly after uh, having the dialogue with this, uh, with this child that 
uh, this individual, this patient passed. And uh, we would say we help that, that patient uh, have that moment of joy um, and fulfill that dream of reconnecting with, with a child. And uh, that's what we, we strive to do is what is that person, that individual patient needing? What is that family needing from this time, and how can we be that support? Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it's beyond what we can do, and so sometimes we're you know, connecting into outside grief counselors or other resources. Sometimes there's the need even for uh, a home care agency to come in and take off some of that burden of the primary care and take that off the family. Um, but as the, the primary care manager, uh, we're there to walk and journey with this patient and their family and help really find the resources if it's not something that's within the hospice benefit. Uh, well, that's that's neat that that you're able to to do that. And again, a lot of it is just asking the right questions um, in terms of what's important. And I, and I, I'm a firm believer that um, the person passing needs to kind of be settled. Um, in order to release, I know for for my dad, for example, um, we, we I mentioned that pneumonia shot, and everybody was kind of on plate. My little brother said he was, but he really wasn't, and it took him about three days. And my dad hung on, and they just could not believe that he was still alive, you know, because they're like he, he just he shouldn't be here, you know, by all rights in terms of of mode, and we all knew that as a family too, and. Um, I'll never forget the night my dad did pass. My brothers and I walked out to the parking lot, and the boys were going to leave, and I was going to stay with dad again. And my little brother said, you know, that was the right decision. And he says, I'm going to stay with you and dad tonight. And by the time we walked back up, my dad started shutting down. And I, to this day, firmly believe my dad was not going to pass until my brother was okay with it with the decision because he just I, I that's just the kind of guy my dad was. He would not want him um hanging on to the the what ifs of all of that and to have some peace and you know, it just went so fast and I know he started shutting down before we got back to the room. I mean that process, you know, started kaboom and it was just incredible. But I really think that there is um a lot of importance with that whole peacefulness and being able to have things, you know, come into play. Have you had, um, you know, any stories that you want to share with with someone who is passing that, you know, maybe a family member, um, just their experience and and something that was profound to them in this process? I can share just a little about my own experience even um, and sort of what spurred me or really... um, led me into, you know, a career in healthcare. Uh, a number of different things from my my past, but I recall uh, I had a, a very strong relationship with my great-grandfather. And uh he had been diagnosed with colon cancer. And uh, I remember the excitement he had been, you know, he was in his 80s and very healthy other than the cancer itself and um living in a independent, you know, uh senior community and and very successful until you know, cancer really started to take over his body. And uh, mm-hmm. I recall, uh, you know, I was in my later teenage years and uh, had this excitement uh, about him moving in. He was going to move in with us and with my family, and I was going to share a room with my grandfather. And so I remember taking part of my bedroom, and we, we set up a bed for my grandfather in my bedroom. And I remember the excitement uh, because of our relationship that uh, I'd get to journey with them through this with this uh 
through his end stages of cancer. And uh, he had an episode. He ended up in the hospital. And uh, I remember, remember it vividly because it was around my birthday. And uh, it was just the day before, in fact. And I remember excited to go visit him at the hospital, and I had hoped that he'd get out for my birthday. And uh, when I got home from school that day, uh, I was informed uh, that he had passed in the hospital. Um, mm. And uh, I, I would carry that with me. And I think about each and every patient. You know, I what my grandfather would have wanted was to have been on hospice and be able to do that, uh, uh, have his last moments, you know, in the presence of, of loved ones. But rather he was, you know, in the hospital and not where he wanted to be. Um, and uh, I, I wish that we would have had an experience, I would have had an experience with hospice for my great-grandfather. Uh, I could have been at his bedside uh, and uh, I didn't get a chance to say goodbye. And that's what I hope that we can offer. Um, you know, time and time again, as we, we journey with family, I, I have conversations myself as well as our staff with folks who just who, who just want that opportunity to, to be present um, and to be a part of their loved one's life as they're taking their last breath. And, mm-hmm. you know, hospice can be provided really anywhere someone calls home. Uh, and so in my grandfather's case, it could have been provided in our home, uh, you know, on the in the bed that I set up next to mine. Um we can provide that care and that support in assisted living, uh, independent housing. We can provide that level of care and support even in a long-term care facility. Um, we've even, you know, uh, seen hospice provided uh, for someone who doesn't have a place to call home. Uh, and so the journey itself, you know, we really wanted to engage and, and offer that support. And, you know, again, you know, thinking of stories, you know, we've had family members who have journeyed through long battles of ALS or MS, uh, you know, and spending the last two or three weeks at the bedside of their loved one, you know, and hospice is there to provide that support uh, as well as that support after. And I think often that's sometimes the most critical thing that uh, not that hospice can provide for family. It's not only just the the assistance in preparing for, but also the support after. Mm-hmm. You know, the 13 months of, of bereavement support that's provided by hospice is really meant to get through that one-year anniversary anniversary of the the passing of a loved one, as well as uh, all those key critical uh, holidays, which are often the most difficult times, aren't they? Uh, and uh, really there to to have that uh, that provider to lean on. Um, you know, I think we've this year alone probably served 900 some patients, um, and uh, everyone has a story. And everyone is unique and very different, and uh, whether it be you know the the sibling who's providing that support and in that journey, or the spouse or the child, um, we really want to approach again everyone very individually. And uh, what is that person in that family needing at this time in their journey? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a, a very precious time. And that follow-up, I know I was amazed. Uh, it it kind of um, took me for a loop. I wasn't anticipating. You know, because most businesses, you know, they, you know, they're done. The service is over. Goodbye. You're out of there. And I and I do remember them mentioning it, but I didn't stick. You know, with everything else that was going on, and it was just, it always brought me back to a, a really peaceful, respectful time. Every time I would get a note or a call, um, um, they even sent a, a little ornament um, that just reminds me of of my dad. And uh, that time, and it was, you know, it's amazing what that does in terms of making it okay to feel. 
you know, to have that, to, like you said, to have that support is, is very, very sweet. Um, now, a lot of people will wonder, can you, can you give hospice to someone with dementia? How does that work? You know, a lot of times people think, well, you know, you don't really know what their needs are. How do you read this? But really, it's not much different than a stroke victim or whatever, you know, depending on where they're at and when you're called into the process. So can you explain to people um, a little bit about how you can serve somebody with dementia? Oh, absolutely. And, and uh, Alzheimer's disease, dementia is actually, um, we use indicators to determine eligibility for the program itself. Um, but we're we're seeing uh, an influx not only in in our area but as well as nationally of folks beginning to use the hospice benefit, where Alzheimer's disease, dementia is their primary diagnosis. Um, you know, examples of things that would be indicators would be difficulty swallowing and refusal to eat, loss of ability to walk or do uh, cares of daily living, the dressing, bathing, grooming, uh, unable to to walk without assistance or ambulate without assistance, a lack of bowel and bladder control. Um, consistent weight loss, unable to speak or communicate, as well as uh, you know frequent hospitalizations, and you know for those like yourself, d- dementia um, is a debilitating disease, and there are those critical points uh, in that person's life that uh, they could definitely benefit from the extra services from hospice. Most often, when we serve, or very frequently, when we serve folks with dementia, again, it's on that stairway decline. And often it's that extra care and support being provided to the patient as well as that primary caregiver, whether it be assisted living staff, um, staff in a long-term care facility. Hospice comes in and complements the care that's being provided by whomever that primary caregiver is. We often see folks improve or, or, or their, sim- their, their symptoms tend to, to stabilize or improve when on hospice services. Um, that doesn't mean that the dementia is changing or the disease itself is changing, but we often will see folks who maybe are, you know, having difficulty and we're seeing weight loss and they may, you know, start to gain some weight back. Or uh, it's it's a study in 2007 showed that individuals who utilized the hospice benefit lived 29 days longer than those who did not. And uh, we certainly see that come true with folks who, are using uh, the hospice benefit who have dementia. Um, oftentimes, it's even learning, you know, uh, how to uh, deal with even some aggression or behaviors, and that's a part of what our team can do is help guide that for those who are at end of life and um, and really support, you know, that that patient through this season of the journey uh, by also supporting and complementing that care from their primary caregiver. Um, well, that's. That's wonderful. I think uh, I think it's very important. Now, um, does your company do special training at all for dementia? We do. We do have training. Um, we do some for community, and sometimes we'll see some spousal caregivers or, or caregivers from the community uh, come to those. We also do uh, some training uh, in conjunction with um, uh, for CNA and uh, other staff to really help that primary caregiver know how to uh, approach and be ready to serve someone with dementia at end of life. Uh, and often it can be very different. And I, I, I can tell you, having worked in memory care, seeing the journey, uh, you know, one individual uh, comes to mind who um, had a, a very uh, quick decline after about two years in a memory care and uh, went through a season where there was a lot of aggression 
and a lot of, uh, you know, the staff were having some difficulty, and, you know, hospice came in and was able to provide a little bit of extra support and, and, and kind of, you know, help adjust some medications as that primary care manager and uh, managing that, you know, uh, the medications relating to pain, because uh, some of it was related to pain and some of that aggression. Uh, and then really journeyed through the end uh, in those last moments where, you know, this individual took their last breath and family was at the bedside. And uh, and so, you know, some of the education that we're able to do is really to support, you know, often it's the same message that maybe if they're in an assisted living or a long-term care facility, the same message that they're hearing from, you know, from the assisted living management and, and the nursing and the nursing staff. But sometimes having it from an outside agency, agency can be that reinforcement. And then it's always relating back to hospice. How do we then take this and approach this for folks who are at that end of life, uh, that redirection? Sometimes it's, you know, a little extra TLC for someone who's at the end of life. And I think some of the the, the greatest training that we've done on dementia is uh, in the form of uh, scenarios and really kind of going through case studies and dialoguing with that, whether it be, you know, the, the you know family caregiver, um, or, you know, a professional caregiver, such as in the case of assisted living, and really talking through cases, you know, and this is how would you approach this if you saw this type of behavior come up uh, or this type of, um, you know, an instance or, you know, this person's exhibiting um, this kind of pain, what do we do here? And uh, so those are some of the forms of training that we've done specific to dementia in the community. Okay. Um if someone is, is, you know, considering hospice, are there some important questions that they should be asking or, you know, where do they even go um, to to secure hospice? What's the best route? Well, I think that's a great question. Um, we, we view hospice, it's, under Medi- it's an entitlement benefit. So anyone who has Medicare uh, is entitled to utilize hospice when they've received that six-month prognosis or meet certain eligibility requirements. And so, um, you know, on a side note, the utilization rate is very low nationally um, for folks who are entitled to this benefit under Medicare. It's a benefit that they paid for. Um, And, you know, we're seeing less than 50% of folks actually use the benefit. The other thing that's important to note is that uh, people have a a right to choose whichever provider they want. Uh, And so, at times, if they're within a certain healthcare community, there may be a recommendation to use a certain provider, uh, and that's great. However, individuals can choose whichever provider they want as long as that provider that they're choosing serves their the, in the geographical service area or the area that that individual lives. Um, and so the questions I like to ask are, you know, what are your response time? If I'm in pain in the middle of the night or my loved one's in pain in the middle of the night, is there somebody I can call? Most agencies are going to have some form of a, a triage and then a nurse that's going to be on the ready to come out and really help uh, relieve that pain. Um, what type of bereavement program do you have is another great question. Um, tell me a little about your bereavement support. Uh, what can we expect as a family or as a caregiving staff up, leading up to the loss of, uh, of our loved one as well as following the loved one? Uh, what type of other services are available? Uh, you have complementary therapies. Does that, you know, what does that look like? Do you have massage therapy available? Do you have music therapy available? Um, you know, at times, pet therapy. Uh, what is your volunteer program like? Uh, as a hospice agency, we we have a very robust uh, volunteer program, and actually, all hospice agencies are required to have volunteers. And so, asking a little bit more about 
what are your volunteers like? You know, are they available to come out and do uh, companionship and, and come out and just visit, or do you have volunteers available for those um, last moments in kind of a, a vigil setting? Um, as well as, uh, you know, what type of equipment can I expect from, from you as a provider? Um, as a hospice agency, we are required to provide any equipment as well as medications that are related to the primary diagnosis. And so things like a hospital bed, um, sometimes a bedside commode. Uh, at times, there's the need for uh, a wheelchair um, or something of that nature, uh, as well as incontinence products. Um, again, most folks uh, lose uh, the ability near end of life uh, with bowel and bladder control. And so that's something that uh, some agencies are providing uh, is incontinence products. That's something that the family is not responsible for. Uh, and so a lot of little details, but those are great questions to ask when you're not in the midst of that time of loss, to ask kind of even before, even maybe before you're needing the service itself. Um, you know, I'd recommend to anyone who's listening to, to go and attend a, a session on dementia or a, a session on hospice. Uh, and maybe it's a dementia-related topic or maybe it's just hospice in general. But the more you can learn about hospice now, it takes away some of that fear later when you're truly mm -hmm. needing it. And, uh, you know, if any message, if we hope that gets out as hospice providers, is we want people to use it. It's there for you. And uh, don't be afraid. Uh, again, just because someone enrolls in hospice, it doesn't mean that that's an ultimate death sentence. And mm -hmm. studies show that folks will live an average of 20 days longer when using the service. And so we just want people to not be afraid to ask the questions and uh, to make the call. Uh, most hospice agencies are available. If you if you do a Google search, you'll see a long list. Um, you can ask your primary physician, or if you're living in an assisted living, um, you know they might have some resources available. But, uh, again, I, I always encourage folks to do a little bit of research and uh, ask the hard questions of whatever provider you're looking at uh, starting services with. Yeah, I think a lot of times people just um, go, the doctor will tell us when it's time. And, and they don't always. You know, they don't always evaluate that. So I think as a family member you need to be aware of these services because I, I don't think all doctors, you know, necessarily believe in this service. Um and that's just my personal call, um, just because I think there's times when I've seen doctors who who aren't um, who aren't referring people to hospice or to palliative care um, when they do meet the criteria. And uh, you know I don't know if that's ignorance on their part that they don't know the criteria or you know if it's a belief standard or or who knows what. Um, and it's really I guess it's irrelevant one way or the other, but. I think as family, we need to be educated and know our options and um, ask those questions and, and again, not be afraid of the answers, you know, because education is powerful. And the, the more we can do it ahead of time, uh, the better off, you know, everyone is going to be. I would like you to speak to um, the volunteers. And can you tell people if they were interested in becoming a volunteer, you know, how do you, you know, do you just kind of knock, knock or pick up the phone and call and, and say, I'd like to volunteer? And then what's the process um, typically for someone to become a volunteer? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, I think what would uh, deter someone from coming is thinking they have to come in and have all the answers. And uh, our responsibility then is to, to train, and we have a very uh, thorough and uh, volunteer training program. 
Um, we have a, a you know full volunteer pro, uh, program, volunteer director, as well as volunteer coordinators out of each of our offices. And uh, really, it just takes a desire to serve. And uh, we then, you know, go through. There is a background background checking that goes on, and uh, a training program and orientation. Um, but uh, we will start folks off uh, really serving in more of a companion volunteer. We also mm-hmm. uh, have a pet therapy program, and that's under our volunteer program as well. And so, if folks have an animal and are interested in trying to engage that animal, uh, there's some things we can uh, we can connect you with there as well. And um, really the desire to serve, and then we'll uh, go through the training and, and get people paired up and, and serving in the area that they live. Um, and so we have over uh, 100 volunteers within our program right now and are always looking for, for more dedicated people with a heart to serve uh, to join the team. Wonderful. Well, it's a, I think it's a fantastic opportunity, and if anyone has ever um, been through this, um, you know just how important this is to to the next guy who's going through it, and I think that's uh, with a lot of volunteers I've talked with, you know they've been there, done that, and they get the importance um, of their of their journey and their mission. And like you had mentioned before, it's it's way more than a job um, to them, and um, very 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 important stuff. And and things that I think as as a society we need to tap into. I mean, this is just such a huge benefit for people on multiple levels. You know, this isn't just about the person who's dying. This really is about the family and the relationship as a whole and to be able to ease that burden and um, the time they take. Um, even when I signed my mom up, I, and I had been through it already with my dad. I knew exactly what to you know what what was coming before me so it wasn't like I was a newbie and I broke down and bawled and bawled and bawled and I was really shocked at myself and um they said this is just normal you know they and they didn't make me feel embarrassed or silly and they're like we will be here as long as you need us to be here so we're not on a time frame you know we're here to serve you and this is just as much about you as it is your mom. And you need to understand that. And I'll never forget those words mm-hmm. and how comforting that was. You know, And they just kept giving me a hug and giving me more Kleenex. <laughs> and, um, but I really I needed a place where, because I was being the strong one for the family and friends and everything, and I just I needed a place to feel safe and I guess to be able to break down. And they allowed me to do that, which was really very very special and and very very needed and um and very safe um and done in a in a real respectful manner. Well, Chris, I can't believe our hour is just about up. Is there anything else that you would like to cover that we haven't covered with our audience? Well, no, I I do appreciate again the opportunity and I guess I just encourage anyone listening that um, you know, if if you or a loved one has been diagnosed with uh, a disease um and uh you know, it has been given that six-month prognosis or, you know, the physician is talking about treatment options. Some of the greatest things we're starting to hear come out of is physicians are starting to mention hospice as a treatment option. And that's how we want it to be viewed. The other thing is have the meeting, have the dialogue. Uh, We Mm -hmm. at St. Croix Hospice would be more than happy to come out and do what we call an informational meeting, uh, even prior to, you know, if if someone ends up not having the eligibility. But we want to have the talk or or try to find a... uh, a place um, that maybe uh, 
you know, there's some education going on, but the more you can learn about the hospice benefit before you need it, the easier that decision is going to be. The other piece is just because you utilize the benefit doesn't mean that, like, again, that that's the end. Um, mm -hmm. At times people will, what we call, graduate from the program. Other times people may say, you know what, I, I changed my mind. Um, when I started hospice, I didn't want to do this curative treatment, but I've changed my mind. And uh, you can revoke the benefit and change your mind and, and go and start a curative treatment at that point. And, and so just because you sign on to hospice doesn't mean that that's the end either. Um, if, mm -hmm. if someone wants to change their plan of care and go a different direction, uh, there's the freedom to do that as well. And so I guess we're just trying to dispel some of the myths here today and uh, really help people see hospice as that, that added value uh, that is available to them at this and most critical time in their journey. Oh, definitely. Well, Chris, this has been very enlightening and I think has um, helped our listeners a lot in terms of sorting out the difference between hospice and palliative care and what it's about um, and the benefits, um, who is involved, how it works, um, and, and, again, removing a lot of those fear factors. Is there a number um, or um, or website that you want to give out for your for your company? In case anyone Absolutely. listening wants our, uh, to get a hold of you. Our website is just www.st. hospice, and that's S-T-C-R-O-I-X, hospice.com. And uh, we have, uh, you know, again, offices throughout the state of Minnesota. Um, I'll give you our, our main phone number, and uh, at any time if someone has a question or wants us to have that dialogue, uh, we can certainly, you know, discuss uh, with them. Our main phone number is 1-855-2-ST-CROI. So that's 1-855-2-ST-CROI-X. And then you, again, you can visit us online at stcroihospice.com. Wonderful. Well, thank you again so much for your time today. I really appreciate it, Chris. And um, with that, I'm going to go ahead and introduce our our next guest. So you have a wonderful day. And again, thank you so much, Chris. Appreciate thank you, it. Our second half of our show today, we are going to be talking with Ann Morehouse from Minnesota Funeral Planning. And Ann has a very interesting um, company, and so I'm really excited for her to be joining us today. Minnesota Funeral Planning was created by three Minnesotan residents uh, who are passionate about helping people through a really difficult time. And their conception came about when one of the owners experienced a sudden personal loss and was thrown into the uncharted waters of planning a funeral on short notice. And after going through this experience um, and not only seeing the need for a better way to deliver services, but they really felt the need um, and felt that there was a way that um, people could get more critical and compassionate um, service delivery and the details that they need um, at that time of remembrance and grief. And so through this experience, um, the creation of this wonderful new company and concept called Minnesota Funeral Planning um, was born. So welcome, Anne. How are you doing today? Hi, thank you. I'm good, thanks. Well, good, good. I'm so glad you could join us because I'm really excited for people to hear about your company. And I, you know, I just kind of said a, a little bit in a nutshell, but maybe if you can tell mm -hmm. um, the audience a little bit more on on how the company was 
was born and who the who the owners are, the creators of this company. Sure. Um, well, actually, the the person that the experience came from was me. It was my personal experience. And what had happened was about eight years ago, my dad had passed away really unexpectedly. And, um, I mean, we he had been sick for like six months, but not to the point where we thought we were going to lose him. Mm-hmm. And so when it happened, um, my mom had asked me if I would help her plan the funeral. And, of course, I said I would, but I had never planned a funeral before. I knew not. I had no idea where to begin. So the first thing I did was I jumped online and I was looking uh, for a checklist. And eight years ago, I couldn't find a checklist anywhere online. Now you can find them, and our site is one that does provide it. But um, but at that point in time, I, I just couldn't even believe I couldn't find a checklist. So I called my mom, and she said not to worry that um, she had an appointment with a funeral director. And the next day we went in and saw him, and he was wonderful. I... Um, I don't have a negative thing to say. I mean, the service was great. The only thing that struck me was um, when we were talking about the various facets of what we needed for the funeral, um, and I'm sure most people don't want to be overwhelmed with choices, I, I just had found that he had pretty much given us three or four options for everything from the funeral program, which... It's called something else. I believe it's called a memorial folder in the funeral industry, but um, I always call it a program because that's what it is, everything else. And um, Mm -hmm. I just remember looking at the choices and thinking, oh, none of them look like my dad, and wishing that there was something else through to the very end where he had said, um, we can't um, accommodate if you want to have a memorial um, reception afterwards, we can't accommodate that, but here are a few choices that we have for you. Um, and throughout the whole meeting, I kept saying to my mom, hey, you know, we don't need to choose right now. We don't need to decide right now. Let's just, let's just do some, let me do some research and, and we can decide then. And so that night, I went home, couldn't sleep, which I would imagine happens to a lot of people, and I jumped online again to see if I could find a venue to hold a reception, and I was so surprised at how so many places said, we can help you with your wedding, with your corporate event, but the the places that I checked into did not address whether or not they could accommodate a funeral reception, and at that point in time, we had five days to plan it, and I just didn't have the time or the energy to be calling everyone. So we did end up going with a lot of what the funeral director had recommended. But years, you know, as the years went by, I just kept thinking, I cannot be the only person that has felt this way. And, um, and, so I got together with two women who have done a lot of volunteer work in the past. One is um, the CFO of her company, and her name is Barb Nystrom. And the other one is a marketing director at her company, and her name is Kathy Lindvall. And we just got together, and um, and they agreed with me. They thought that there was a need. And so that's how Minnesota Funeral Planning got started, was we decided just to put together a website where 
businesses um, that are able to accommodate people in this situation can can put the word out that they're there and that they're able to help and that where people can find them. So that's that's it in a nutshell, a very big nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, but I think it's great. How many years was it, you know, since your dad passing to when you when you formally launched the company? Oh, good question. Okay, so uh, approximately four years. Okay, so that's a, that was a lot of gnawing and eating at you. I mean, I, to me, that just shows how important um, this whole process was and the impact that you had. It wasn't something you could just kind of push down or push away. It really, it had a big impact right. on you. And it, it, um, and I and I think a lot of others. So. You know, I commend you for not pushing it down and going. You know what? I can I can just do this better. There's a way to improve. I mean, and there's a way to improve any industry and any service. And you know, I think people need to start looking at those those things more seriously. Um, can you tell us a little bit um, about you know how your company works? Um, and, sure. and how 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 are the resources available? Is there a fee people pay or how does it how does it work? Well, um it's the URL is www.mnfuneralplanning.com and it's free to use for for visitors. And we do have all of the funeral homes listed in the Twin Cities metro area as well as the state and I I did get that information from the state of Minnesota, so I'm hoping it's all current and updated. But um, we felt that it was really important to have that part of it be comprehensive because it is important to people to be able to get a hold of their local funeral home. And for adult children who are planning, who live outside of the state, um, we do have a function where they can put in a zip code and what comes up is the funeral home that's closest or whatever type of um, business they're looking for. And so mm-hmm. we have it broken down by categories, and and we um, pretty much have everything that you can think of that you might need when you're planning a funeral. And it, it's everything from catering to, um, you know, venues like I was looking for, um, also clergy, I mean, videographers, photographers, anything that you might need. Um but in the course of talking with these businesses, what was really surprising to me was how people, everybody has a story. Everybody's, you know, not everybody, but a lot of people have been through it. And so many were encouraging me to call businesses that could help people after the funeral, too, because some people were telling me, you know, when I was in that situation, for me, the service was difficult, but what was really challenging was finding the help after the funeral was over. So we also have a section for after the funeral, which also also includes businesses um, such as attorneys and um, realtors and senior housing, um, any any type of service that can help people square away, you know, the things that need to be done. Or another thing that was surprising was um, oftentimes a parent, a 
parent might be taking care of the other parent and the primary caregiver is the one that passes away first. So now adult children find that the surviving parent needs more care than they had even realized. So it's um, trying to find professionals that can help them with those services as well. Yeah, I I find it uh, because it really is pretty thorough. Um, And you also have pet funerals. You have information for pet funerals, if I'm not mistaken. Right. That's that's a growing area just because um, pets are such a big part of our families. And and the resources are are limited on that as well. Um, One other facet of our business that evolved was initially we had just started to be an online resource. And in talking, but how people hear about us is we work with an, about um, 18 different hospices, and some of them are affiliated with the larger hospital groups like Alina, North Memorial, Fairview, um, Health East. And, and so the social workers, when their um, patients are in hospice, oftentimes will give our resource guide information to the families to help them. And um, so many of them, the social workers, were calling me and telling me that they didn't really know if the families were going home and jumping online just, you know, based on that piece of literature that I had left with them. So they had encouraged us to also put together the information in a printed format. So what we're doing now as well is everything that's on our website is also available um, in a hard copy, and that way it makes it easier for families to talk about the subjects that are sometimes really hard to bring up when Mm -hmm. they have this resource in their hands. Mm -hmm. Do you have um, in that, or or have you thought about it if you haven't, um, what kind of guiding questions for a family to ask? Actually... Um, one thing that we're working on right now is having one page that's actually being sponsored by a funeral planner um, that will address those questions. So okay. that's, yeah. And that's in an up, we're working on our second edition right now, and that'll be coming out in December. Okay. So you'll be able to see it there then. Well, neat. I, I think this is... Um really an interesting concept because i mean i've i've done pre-planning where you go to the funeral home and you know you pick this and that and the other thing but there's so many things that are left out and i you know i'm on your site right now looking at it and you've got the sources for catering for clergy for cremation for flowers um you've got information on hospice and funeral homes and hotels even um keepsakes um you know there's just musicians you know always comes in um, transportations urns and caskets and it's um it's really very very thorough and then um under your informational you've got cemetery services and funeral homes um organ and body donation um information on scattering ashes um vaults and mausoleums and even how to write a eulogy um, those are all really very important pieces to the pie, and the more we can 
you know, feel comfortable talking about this stuff um, and maybe doing some pre-planning um, by taking the fear out of it, um, I think is very, very wise. And then you're, like you said, you're after the funeral um, information is great too from appraisals and auctioneers and real estate agents, the grief support, different home services, and um you know the the wills and estates and um, attorneys. You know, I I think that's very, very important pieces, and it's just stuff that not everybody thinks about. Um, you know, with that, I that's remember. That's so true. Yeah. I mean, one thing I've learned um, throughout all of this is there are services that, unless you need them, aren't even on the radar, such as home health care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've never needed home health care. I didn't even know that that industry existed until I got into this. And there are so many wonderful services. It's just um, I think the challenge is for those businesses getting the information out. And hopefully before the need, the need is there, but um, but especially at the time of need. Oh, I, I totally, totally agree with you on that. And it's nice to have everything in one spot um, for people to be able to utilize and and just click and find it. Um, do you have anything? I, I'm not seeing it on here, but maybe you do have it on. Even just um, writing, you know, the the obit and um, or or newspaper connections for people, or does that oh, usually come through the family home? Actually. It, that we found usually comes through the the funeral home, and I haven't had um, anyone bring that up. That's a great suggestion and something that that I'll write down that we will definitely look at including. Yeah, because I I think you know that's a hard thing to do, and for some people it's going to be you know defined by money and how much space they want to take up. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there's so many different variables now with even. You know, they have the sign-in book that, you know, that you can do. And I think that would be another nice piece to have on here explaining that because if someone hasn't been to a funeral in a while or, you know, hasn't gone online, they don't even know about these guest books that are out there that the newspapers have. And those can, you know, kind of turn into a a living legacy for somebody as well. or You know, they can capture the moment or it can help with raising funds for charities if, if they want to, you know, go that route as well with that. But um, you just have... Oh, and as far as the the charity piece, um, we do have a section, too, that's called Charitable Contributions. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, in lieu of flowers, or in in addition to flowers, families like to set up memorials for their loved Uh ones. And, you know, in most cases, people like to, to have the... Um, nonprofit be something that that the deceased was passionate about. Yeah. But when you're in that moment, sometimes you just can't think straight and you can't remember everything, and then later have regrets because it comes to you. And yep. so, uh, because Kathy, Barb, and I had met as volunteers, it was really important for us to um, give back to the community. And mm-hmm. so one part that we've built into our businesses, so our sponsors of the website who are also in the printed product, um, 
that's where we're funded is it's it's paid sponsorships. And so for every paid sponsor, those sponsors have the ability to give us the name of a nonprofit that they're passionate about and we will um put that nonprofit in under charitable organizations at no charge to the nonprofit. And that way if if families, you know, are planning a funeral and they see that charitable contributions, it gives more information about those nonprofits. It gives a contact um gives contact information about setting up the memorial and it gives that nonprofit a, you know a little bit additional exposure and hopefully it'll help bring their them the funding that they need to continue their wonderful services. Yeah. Well, very very interesting. I was like I said um I've seen, you know, the the um the website here and I saw one of your your books too and it was just really caught me by surprise because I thought, boy, this is just such a needed, needed service um, to be able to help people maneuver. Now, are there, um, and maybe it's on here because there's just so much information, are there people that you, you know, like there's party planners, are there funeral planners that are listed on here too that can help you coordinate this if you don't want to do it yourself? Actually, we have an affiliation with a brand-new company, um, as far as I know, there are pre-planners that are wonderful that are involved with us, um, but there's also a brand-new service that will plan a funeral from start to finish if you, you know, if somebody does not want to work with a funeral director. For the most part, funeral directors are those planners but yeah. um, at the time of need, but if somebody would prefer to work outside of that, there's one business that I'm aware of, and that business is called TK um, TK Tributes. Uh huh. Okay. Interesting. I had not I had not heard of them. And they're are they local here in Minnesota? Then they are, and um, they are listed on our site under the funeral pre planners. We're changing that. We're now because they're brand new to us. We're now needing to change that category to planners and pre planners. And okay. then they'll also be, they'll have, um, so they have more information as far as contact information on our website. Um, and also they'll be in our printed guide that will be coming out in December. Okay, great. Well, they, um, well, it's interesting. It's so simple to use your site. I mean, it's just a click, click, and they pop up and, um you know, you can go right to the site or call them or email them, and um, it's very, very easy access. And I love your photos with your logo. It's just very serene and peaceful, and oh. you've done a, a really nice job um, with well, that. thank you. Have you that was all Kathy. Was it? Have you gotten responses from people who have utilized your site? And um, Actually, we're not getting... Uh, responses from the end users, but we are getting responses from our sponsors, and so and it's been really gratifying because just to know that we're helping people connect with these resources has been great. Because we also, I mean, a big part of what we do is we want to support the local businesses, and so knowing that we're making those connections is huge. Mm-hmm. Very, very, very important. That's for sure. Do you have um, 
I guess what are your your goals with the company? Are are you thinking you're going to stay locally here, or do you see this expanding at all in the future? Or for now, we're we're just focusing on local. Um, mm-hmm. Local meaning, right now we're really focused on the Twin Cities metro area. We would like to expand it to outstate Minnesota as well. Um, but you know. I'm I'm not going to say never, but for now, that's really our intent is to keep that focus. Okay. Well, and it's good to you know build the business you know slowly so you know where you're at and and being able to tweak and improve things you know over time if you if you do decide to to expand. I just think that it's such a neat um, service um, to be able to to offer people that it would be something that. Um, could easily go much larger if you know if you had the vision right. and, and the desire to um to do that now if there is somebody listening who um has a service um that might be applicable um to you, what is the best way for them to to reach you then Anne? The best way is to go on our website and um it's www.mnfuneralplanning.com, and at the bottom there's a contact us button. Uh huh. So that would probably be the easiest. Okay. And or I can also um, give you my my phone number okay. if you'd like. Sure. And our company our company number is. Seven six three six three nine eighty nine hundred. Okay, wonderful. Well, that is great. Um, is there anything else that you want to kind of share about your service, or any stories that you care to share? Or? Um, gosh, I just nothing comes to mind offhand. Um, we just are really grateful though that we found something that that really can make a difference as far as helping people and i think that that's what what really fuels our passion we have another person too betty hillstrom that's been helping us and she's said the same thing and i think that one thing about this industry people um what i found people who are drawn to the funeral industry or to serving seniors are really a different breed i mean they're such caring compassionate people that it's just been an honor to work with them mm-hmm. so i um i just really encourage people who who haven't done so to really try and set time aside to at least you know, put together their wills in, or an estate or talk with a funeral planner or get something in writing um, that will make it easier for their families because should something happen that's unexpected, um, it just makes it so much easier for your loved ones to move forward. Um, and that goes for healthcare directives. I mean, there's so many things that we know we should do that, I think if if there's one thing that people take away from this, if they could set aside time to do that, that would be um, time well spent. Yep, yeah, I I totally agree with you there. I um, 
No, the other thing I was thinking about on your site, and again, it, it could be on here, and I don't know, if, don't know for sure if it is, but any any articles in terms of you know the do's or don'ts in terms of funeral planning? I know that they never used to, you know, they they talk now that you shouldn't let people know that you're going to be, you know, away from your house because people have gotten broken into and so they don't always give all the the full names or or cities that um, maybe the children or spouses live in any do you have articles on kind of safety tips and stuff i mean it's a sad state that we're we're in with things like that but um you know that's i guess the society that we live in is that something cuz i think you have a blog too don't you mm-hmm. Yes, and that's something that that is in the works again for our upcoming edition. Okay. Um, but that's yeah, and I don't feel that I um, have all the answers there. But I know that the funeral homes that that are in the area are just wonderful about talking about that at the time that you're planning. Mhm. But yeah. It- Great idea for a blog, a blog yeah. subject. Well, it's just, you know, I mean, it's kind of funny because you just think of all these little bits and pieces that you don't normally think about and that, why they're popping mm-hmm. into my head now. I don't know, but I'm, <laughs> I'm just Well, and it's so true, too, because that's that's one thing that I had regretted. Um, we had, our funeral director did offer to write the obituary for us, but for my dad, but I decided I really wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. And so I placed it myself, and what I wasn't told at the time that I placed it was I wasn't asked if he was a veteran. Uh-huh. And um, when it was published, my mom was so upset that the flag wasn't there. And, you know, there are things like that where you don't realize what a big deal it is until it may be too late. Oh, I have a funny story on the flag thing, because this is something people don't know either, and our family broke all the rules um, with this. But, you know, every veteran is allowed one flag, and that's free. And we we had three kids, and we all wanted a flag because for us that was really important, an important remembrance of my dad. And so we bought two more flags. And so at the funeral, they had all three flags out. And, you know, us kids didn't think twice about it. It was like no big deal, but... Um, all of my dad's peers and friends were going, was he in three wars? <laughs> oh. <laughs> and it was no, you know, and it, and it was a protocol thing. But for us as a family, we wanted a flag. And I'm looking at mine right now. I've got it in my office next to a picture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we got, um, and, and this might be something that you want to add, too, is um, on your site, how people get the mm-hmm. flags, because again, they can do it through the funeral home, but the flag boxes, and there's a few different designs with that, and some funeral mm-hmm. homes offer them, but a lot of them don't. And that just is really nice to be able to have a case, and you know, you can get it inscribed or not, and and mm-hmm. things, but that might be another, because for us as a family, that was hugely important. Um it was just a really, really big thing. And then, you know, for my yeah. dad being a vet at the cemetery, you know, they had the, the gun salute and stuff, and, and we went and got the casings for the gun. 
and then put um, my dad's ashes in the casings and then just put, like, clay in to hold it or something so that each of us had that piece as well, which is just something, again, you don't really think of, but we happen to, but very important to us, very simple to do. Um, And, you know, the other thing that would be cool would be, like, when you have a wedding, you have a maid of honor who kind of picks up after you and keeps you together. Uh (laughs) It would Uh almost be nice if there was a creation of someone you could call on as a, and I don't think I don't think anyone's done that at this point. But to mm-hmm. say, you know, would you help me? You know, your mind's probably a little clearer than mine. Would you mind making sure, you know, that that you've got the, oh. the safety pins and the list, and that the checks are getting to who they need, or that we pick up the cards, or someone else that's just in charge. It would be neat if there was a an actual position that you could ask a friend to do, kind of with a job description. Um, That would be really cool. I'm just thinking of all these things you can add. Well, and you know, it's, it's, I love it. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And then another thing that did just come to mind is, um, I think that right now, a lot of the funerals that we attend tend to be very, very, very similar. Um, But just like with weddings, they could have themes. I mean, there are no rules against it. It could really, that's one thing where I think um, we'll start to see more and more of. It's actually a trend I hear on the coast mm-hmm. is um, really to customize the services to the passions and the um, life of the deceased. So, for example, um I'm okay. What now? I'm going to draw a blank on on anything I've heard of. Um, <laughs> oh, and you know, it can it can deal with anything. Just even one facet of the funeral. Like um, when I I I've, I've joked, kind of half joking, but kind of, not really. I love bags. All my friends and family know. I'm just I just. That's, you know, some people like shoes. I like bags. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you don't need to spend money on an urn for me. Just take my Ferragamo. You can put my ashes in there. I'll be totally happy. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like that kind of thing where I just think that there are no limits. And um, on our site, we actually have a creative ideas tab. And mm-hmm. we had asked some of our sponsors, well, we had um we had put out a contest a year ago asking people to submit ideas for creative um, funerals. And we posted those submissions, and we had our sponsors vote on their their favorite one. And so um, so you can see the results of that. But it, it gives some really great ideas. And you're seeing more and more videos, too. There's a lot of people that... Um, like we have a, a service, a few services that will on our site that can take photos or videos and compile them into a really nice presentation, you know, for mm-hmm. the memorial service. Yep. And and then there are services too that that will take video of the service and post them for people who can't attend. So a lot is changing within the industry. 
Definitely. Well, and even, um, I'm just thinking for your blog, and again, maybe you've done this, but even the types of funerals from being more serious to, I mean, I've seen them where there's a fishing pole and a beer can and the favorite hat with all his lures and stuff on it, um, Mm -hmm. heavy clickers and you know, or um, some are into sports or racing, and people just bring in and put all of the that stuff around. I was at, um, you know, in and around the casket. I was at another funeral that was really, it was it was so it was it was done really well. It was very dignified, but this um, woman had a lot of favorite little um, oh kind of art pieces, and they were just placed all over the funeral home mm. with a little note. Um, by them that this was one of her you know favorite pieces and you just got to see the personality of the person a little bit more and that was very very neat um a friend well, of and mine music music can mm-hmm. reflect that too yeah um, we have some you know we have concert musicians that are all listed but then we also have jazz like Dixie Land Jazz, some of those funerals are so cool, and I think that that can really set the tone, too. Yep, yep. Well, you hear about the Irish wakes, and, you know, they're more about celebration, and I think people are starting to um, try to do that a little bit more, and... um, and you know we are so individualized. The the cookie cutter isn't cutting it anymore mm-hmm. uh, for for most of us, and and we really want that personality to shine through of why this person was so loved and embraced, and you know it allows others to you know to partake. I I think another thing that would be cool that I've never seen done before, but would be for people to be able to bring photos, their favorite photos in, and have a poster board where they could leave that with the family and maybe a little note. Um, I mean, how cool would that be for the family to be able to look at later? I mean, it's nice to get a card, but to get mm-hmm. something from a friend that really mattered. Oh, that's a great so idea. And, you know, that would cost nothing to do. Um, but again, you'd have to put it kind of in the obit so people would know. Um, but even if there was a checkbox that there's going to be, you know, a creative share, um, if you've got something, you know, that you want to bring up, a, a picture or, you know, a whatever, um, there'll be a table. Oh, that's or a great idea. To be able to do so, yeah, you'll get on all this stuff, girl. I'll just come up with some ideas. I'm, I'm, I'm writing, I'm writing this all down for my funeral plans, for my personal funeral plans. <laughs> just, um, you know, it's just something to do, and I, and I think most people don't pre-plan for themselves. I I have to go back and look because I, oh, and I'm 53 now, and I never thought that I was going to live to be 40 for whatever reason, and so I had pulled some things together and I had actually recorded a message that I wanted played and a certain song that I wanted played wow. um, for people. And, uh, you know, I kind of chuckle now because I'm like, oh, yeah, she's always got to have the last word, you know, and I thought, well, that's probably pretty, pretty, <laughs> pretty poignant for myself. But, I mean, that could happen. And so now looking at that, looking at that that you had put together, would you still <laughs> use it? Would you I mean, still no, my want life it used? Is, my life has changed, so I, you know, I need to let people know, you know, not to do. It. I mean, if it happened, it wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt. It would kind of be a chuckle, 
Um, but, you know, there's been, you know, over 13 years that have passed. <laughs> and so okay. I, I, I would like to think that I, maybe I've become a little wiser, have a few different words I'd choose. <laughs> Um, but again, to not be afraid of doing that. But I, I, you know, in my message, and I don't really remember what all I I had, but I I do remember just wanting people to know how much they meant to me. Mm. And to me, that is something that is missing at a funeral. And a lot of times, you you might be lucky enough to say goodbye. Um, but usually that's a handful, that's close family and friends, but it's not all the people that you've touched and, and all the people that, you know, hopefully will come to your funeral. And I just thought it would be neat to be able to um, leave them with something from me. And, and maybe that's, I mean, like at a wedding, here I go again, maybe it's a napkin with a message on it or, or a mantle, not as many people smoke. But maybe there could be, I mean, that that's something that could be worked in. Or, or maybe it's just a little stone, you know, um, with a, a saying or a word that says love or hope or, you know, whatever. I'm with you always, you know, that that could be a takeaway. That, again, oh, it's just you are so different. creative. These are oh, great yeah, ideas. My, <laughs> but there's... <laughs> There's lots of things um, in any business that could be done to improve it. And, uh, you know, funeral planning is no different. And it's it's such an important marker in our lives. Well, and you know, it seems like baby boomers have never been ones to just go with, you know, they're the trendsetters. and. Mm-hmm. Actually, I consider myself to be a boomer. I'm at the tail tail end of it. But um, I I just think that we're going to see a lot of changes and some really neat things coming down the pike as far as funerals are concerned. And I hope so. I, it's, it's already happening. Um, mm-hmm. and, and just like with weddings, we've seen an evolution in how weddings are conducted. It'll... It's it's another life celebration, mm-hmm. different um, part of your life, but not that dissimilar. No, no, not at all, not at all. I mean, even um, I've always wondered. Well, you know, I should get, you, I should connect you with a friend of mine who has, um, oh, he has fingerprint jewelry, and that's a really cool end of life piece, but it's perfect for weddings it's perfect for births um and it's just fingerprint jewelry oh yes called first impressions um jake Furman, and he his work is incredible and it's absolutely i want to say it's first impressions um yes it is and they just do a marvelous job and they're they're located right here in um you know what Maybe it's not. There's a couple of first impressions. I'm going to have to look up and make sure that I get you the right thing because this group well, is Well, actually, not... he's on our site. <laughs> he is, is he? on our site. Yep. And oh, cool. under keepsakes, we have a keepsakes category. And oh, cool. the one thing that Jake does that is so wonderful, I mean, just so I can't even express how amazing I think, but he donates um, 
he works with the children's hospital and when um uh terminally ill children pass away he donates his jewelry to the mothers who lost their babies and i just think yeah. that that is such a such a generous amazing thing but um but he he is working with families to extend legacies of their loved ones through their fingerprints and um and so right now I'm trying to help connect him with hospices because I really think I know that I would have loved that. Yep. Yeah, I got I have one made um for my mom who's got dementia and you know, because we really can't communicate, I can't go ask her a question and get an answer like I normally would. Um I just sit and I contemplate it and I rub that fingerprint. And it just brings me such peace. It's just a really a beautiful, beautiful thing. And he has such a wide variety. And, yeah, I'm just so proud of him. I didn't even know that that was his company until I um, I just ran across it on the Internet. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is my jeweler. I was just, it was like hilarious <laughs> because I literally did not know um, that jewelry that matters. That's, yeah, his his website. And um, it's just very, 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 very cool what he what he does and what he has uh, to offer. It's just beautiful. So, well, this has been a really fun conversation. I know you need to run to get to a meeting, and I wanna I, I wanna make sure that I'm um, cognizant of that and don't make you oh, late at you. all. Anything else well, that you would you. like people to know about your company at all? No, just that um, we're here to help connect, you know, individuals with these services at the time that you need them, and I hope that that our site just makes life a little bit easier for everyone involved, because that's really our end goal is is to alleviate the frustrations that I had felt at that time. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'll put in a plug here for Jake, too, because his jewelry, even if you're not in Minnesota, um, you can order that wherever. And there are, like you said, from end of life to birth to marriage to, um, you know, our soldiers going off to war, kids off to college. It's just a really cool um, piece that can be used on multiple levels. Oh, this is a new one I just saw flashed across the screen with a little baby footprint. It's like, is that ever cute? Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, and you, you couldn't you couldn't work ask to work with a nicer person too. He's been he's really just the sweetest guy, isn't he? Yeah, very very mm-hmm. nice. And your like I said, your your um, website is phenomenal. It's got lots of resources. Again, um, people can go to www.mnfuneralplanning.com. Um, or they can reach you um, at 763-639-8900. And um, Ann Morehouse, I thank you so much for all of your time today. Um, so you have oh, thank a you wonderful for day. Me. I appreciate it. Well, great. Well, great. Um, with that, I'm going to go ahead and close the show. But again, thank you so much for all the wonderful information and insight, Ann. Bye now. Thank you. Okay. I just want to uh, thank all of our listeners as well. 
for staying with us today and listening to the show. I hope you found some valuable information. I know I learned a lot of new things along the way once again. Our next show coming up is going to be October 10th, and um, Dr. William Fry is going to be with us with the Alzheimer's Research Center here in St. Paul. He'll be talking about the nasal and insulin spray and uh, some new things that are going on um, with that study, which are really quite exciting. Then on the 15th, uh, Kari Barrett, uh, she will be with us. She is an author and speaker on the unexpected caregiver. And on the 18th, um, Eileen Smith, uh, who is the author of The Black Hole, is going to be with us. And um, Patricia Gallagher, uh, who has a company called Stories for Seniors. And so that will be a a wonderful conversation. So please, uh, if you enjoyed the show today, please, uh, again, like us on Facebook. If you've got a Twitter account, um, you can tweet about us. Uh, You can email the episode to a friend. If this is something of interest uh, to your business, feel free to go ahead and and put a link um, on your website or you can embed the episode as well to your website or to a newsletter. We'd love to have you share any information um, that you feel is relevant for people. And we also will be having our next Dementia Chats, which is where I interview Rick Phelps with Memory People and um, Harry Urban on the 9th, and so that's October 9th, that's a Tuesday. We switched it from a Saturday to a Tuesday um, in the future. So again, thank you all so much uh, for sharing your day with us today, and don't forget to check out Alzheimer's Speaks, our resource website, where you can connect to the blog, our YouTube channel. There's free tools there that you can download. Um, all kinds of information, and again, you can always access the radio show, and that is just www.alzheimersspeaks.com. So that's www.alzheimers, and then speaks, S-P-E-A-K-S. Have a blessed day, and thank you so much for joining us. Bye now. Hey everybody, Jared Sebastian, host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change. In fact, the two most dangerous years of a person's life are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.